on the scale that it did was just way beyond anything we'd ever imagined. Those first few moments of realizing that we had inadvertently captured lightning in a bottle, we were like, oh my God, this is, this is going to change our life. Welcome to the Action Academy Podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. Allie Webb. Live and in color. How are you? Great. How are you? I am doing fantastic. I'm so excited to dive in because... You are a very documented woman, but you've got articles on articles and so many different resources and materials to dive in. A lot of them have a lot of dollar signs and commas and zeros behind them. And that's amazing. I know you're over the moon about that as well. After interviewing so many people that have had successful exits and that have had success in business and entrepreneurship, I I always am drawn to this specific question. What were your congrats, Ali moments? So throughout this entire journey, because I know that's something that so many people struggle with, is at what moments can you remember any, if many, if any, where you were like, hell yeah, congrats, Allie. Like, you did great on this. Yes, I'm going to actually celebrate this specific milestone in my business. Gosh, there's so many. And I say that with a lot of humility, but this journey building Drybar was just like being on a rocket ship. We were definitely on the forefront of this singular kind of service we provided, which was just blowouts. And then it set in motion brows and lashes and all these things. It was a really exciting time. And it goes back to the very beginning when we were, when we opened the first location, even before we opened the first location. And granted, this was 13 years ago in 2010. And mostly everybody was still on Blackberries. I don't know if you had a Blackberry, but Blackberries were it back then. And I was sitting at, I've told this story a bunch of times, but I can't not tell it. I was sitting at lunch with my brother at this little cafe right next to our first store, which hadn't opened yet, but it was like weeks away. And at that point, people were mostly just booking appointments on their laptop. You couldn't really book on your a smartphone because smartphones weren't really a thing yet. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, an article had run on this thing called Daily Candy, which you probably don't know because you're a dude and you look young. But anyways, and it basically was like this thing that women everywhere used as like a resource and guide to all the new cool things. And it had run this little article about dry bar blowing into Brentwood. And all of a sudden, my brother and I started getting all these notifications of appointment bookings. And we were like, there must be like a glitch. Like what's going on? Why are we getting all these appointments? And then we realized they were actually legit. And we would end up opening dry bar opening day to a completely booked shop. And that's just unheard of in the salon industry to, it takes a long time for stylists to build their books and all of that. So mm-hmm. the fact, and it was in the middle of a recession, the fact that we opened to a full house of clients, it was probably the very first moment that we were like, holy shit, we're on to something. And then I'd say that the next one that followed was when we actually opened the doors for business and again, we were booked solid and we were back to back. And I was sitting at the first chair doing blowouts and managing the desk and all the things. I'll never forget that phone call calling my brother and Cam, my ex-husband, who was my partner in in the business. And we were all crying because we were like, oh my God, this fucking thing worked. We didn't know. I had an inclination that it would. And 
we all felt really good about it. On the scale that it did was just way beyond anything we'd ever imagined. Those first few moments of realizing that we had inadvertently captured lightning in a bottle, we were like, oh my God, this is, this is going to change our lives. I knew it in that moment. For me, as a girl who loves fashion, there were so many moments where we got a call from the Vogue offices in New York because a beauty editor was coming to LA and she wanted a blowout and she'd been hearing about this place, Dry Bar. And I was like, a Vogue editor is coming? And it was such a... <laughs> and then it would be preceded by every celebrity you can think of under the sun was coming in. And it was like celebrities left and right, which was a surprise because... I felt like our price point was so low and these guys have so much money and they could have whoever they want come to their home. What we would learn is like people, no matter who you are, loved the experience of dry bar and sitting there, getting your hair blown out, getting out of the house, watching a chick flick, all the things that made the experience so good. Fast forward to many years later and building this business and all the opportunities that it, I got to partake in, like going on TV shows and talking about the business, flying all around the country to promote it, being asked to be on Shark Tank and being on the cover of Inc. Magazine. Like those were all pretty big congrats moments. Holy shit. <laughs> I'm just this unassuming, I was unassuming stay-at-home mom whose life yeah. completely had changed and turned around. It was so awesome. So grateful and so proud. The reason I ask that is I've seen over and over again, people that are very successful almost become numb to those like holy um, shit moments. And it's every single time that something happens, then they're like just thinking about the next thing. So that's really interesting that you didn't have to deal with that. Is there any advice that you can give for people that go through those? And they're like, okay, next thing. Well, I wouldn't say I'm innocent of that either. That is probably a pretty common trait of entrepreneurs. It's like we are on to the next thing as we're on the one thing. I think I've actually learned more later in life to really enjoy the moment. I've most recently really been focusing on like being in the present moment. I, I heard a quote recently about when you're suffering or stress, it's because you're living in your past, which is like your memories, or you're living in the future, which it's your imagination, which can go both ways for sure. I found it to be so interesting that, oh, if you're living in the present, you're much happier. Like you're living moment to moment. I think it's an important lesson that I certainly didn't get until years later about like really enjoying the moment. I was always worried about the next thing and I was always ruminating on the past. And I'm, I'm only just now starting to learn how to like better focus on the present. I don't know that I have a lot of great advice for that, except I know now I talk about in my new book, The Messy Truth, that as entrepreneurs and just as humans, we spend so much time worrying about things that haven't happened yet, being that no one's going to show up to our business. The amount of time I spent on that shit was crazy. I worried all the time. Is it going to end tomorrow? Is the whole business going to implode? And so I can tell you on the other side, it's not worth the worry. It doesn't matter how much you worry. It's not going to change anything. And, and if anything, it's going to change it for the negative. Exactly. Oh, I love that you said that. There's a quote that I heard lately from Seth Godin, who does a bunch of marketing. He's like a marketing god. He talks about the difference between brand and product. He goes, if Nike, because they create shoes, if they were to open up a hotel, you could pretty much have a good understanding of what that hotel would look like. He goes, mm -hmm. and that's brand. But if Hyatt, were to open up, start a shoe, you would have no idea what the hell a Hyatt shoe would look like. It yeah. goes, so that's the difference between like capital B brand. I feel like you knocked it out of the park with Jai Bar because you were like, let's take something where we're doing blowouts, it's hair care, it's a salon product, but let's add personality to this. Let's make this something different. That's a different experience as opposed to anyone else. So that way, anybody that tried to compete with you, like they didn't stand a chance. So what was your thought process going through that? I have to give a lot of credit to Cam 
because he had worked in advertising and he really understood branding on a level. I didn't know anything about branding when we started Dry Bar. I know a lot now, but in those early days, I didn't know it at all. The genius of what he did and what he still does with any brand he's working with, a lot of businesses are built out of something that already exists. So you create a better experience, a better price point, all these things that make it better. Great advice for anybody listening, building a brand, which is exactly what we did with Dry Bar. We were just doing blowouts and you could get blowouts anywhere. You just couldn't get the experience that we ended up creating. The way we looked at it was, what is everybody else doing? Let's do the opposite. So historically, when you go into any kind of hair salon, which of course, blow dry bars didn't exist before us, but when you would go into a hair salon, which is essentially what dry bar is, it's pretty typical. It's dark and smoky and every station's a little bit messy with blow dryers here and different products here and different... It was just like a mess to me. Beyond the branding, I like things very orderly and neat. The guy who taught me how to do hair used to say, cleanliness is close to godliness. My mind just can rest easier when things are very neat and organized. So the whole premise of traditional salons, for the most part, are there's just stuff everywhere. There's colors everywhere, cords hanging everywhere. No one ever thought about it in any other way. When we were concepting Dry Bar, it was like, let's not be dark and smoky. Let's be bright and happy. And that I like to think was like a reflection of my personality. And this is my baby. We really leaned into this. It's a California brand. We wanted to be fun, happy and upbeat. We don't want to be doing what anybody else has done. It's a complete departure on your typical salon. But a lot of the things that make dry bar special as a dude, I'm sure you've never been into a dry bar, but I'm sure you have girlfriends who have. When you go into dry bar, it is set up like a bar. There's mirrors behind the station. You're not looking directly in a mirror. You're watching a chick flick. You're charging your phone. A lot of women bring their laptops. Every single thing we did in the shops from the tufted walls, from the music to the drinks, to the names of the blowouts, to the yellow flowers, to the mirrors behind, which you turn around for what we call the big reveal. And the coasters, right? You had like a really popular coaster. Yeah, yeah. All of those things, there there were so many things that we so intentionally did to make the experience great, which is all part of the branding. I talk a lot about branding because I know it so well now. And I really understand that brand is so much more than just a good logo and some good colors and a business card or flyer or whatever. It's creating the experience of a brand, whether you have a direct-to-consumer business, it's what's the experience when that person opens the box? It can be amazing and you can have all these cute little sayings on it. It's thinking about the brand more holistically and on a bigger scale is something that I think was a huge part of our success. And that's really how we thought about it, connecting the dots and creating this common thread. So you kind of loved what you witnessed from the brand before you walked in the shop. And when you walked in the shop, it was such a fun experience. Even the bathrooms were really cute. Women would want to take selfies in there. That surprise and delight moment that we recreated in a, in a bunch of different locations. All of that is how we thought of it and how we came up with it. So it's like a macro vision, micro details, right? Yeah, that's a great way to say it. So you, you just mentioned something that's really interesting. So you do get invited to speak at a lot of keynotes, do a lot of podcasts and speak on a lot of topics. What topics do you wish that you were invited to speak on more? What do I wish people would ask me to speak about? I like to get pretty personal and mm-hmm. get to the real stuff. I don't usually know what's going to come out of my mouth until it does because there's, <laughs> there's been a million times where somebody's asked me a question and depending on where I'm at in my life and what's going on, I'll always answer pretty differently. First and foremost, obviously, the reason I'm being asked to speak about things is to hopefully inspire somebody. I'm usually speaking to entrepreneurial audiences and people who are in the throes of starting or running a business, and maybe they're struggling and they need some inspiration. So I I do really feel honored to be able to speak to groups like that and and share what I've learned because I learned so much 
growing this brand as someone who didn't go to college and didn't have very good grades. I feel like I got a master's in business as I was building this company. So I really love to be able to give back. And so many people were so generous with me uh, and my brother as we were building this business. So many things we didn't know and so many people we had to ask. I really feel called to be able to give back to that. And I really like to come at it from a very like raw, real perspective. I like when I'm able to talk, give you a bunch of answers that are pretty atypical. I like to go a little off-road and be a little more corporate, not corporate. Yeah. And I'm the last, I'm so far. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's like a little more vulnerable, as real as I can be. Cool. Let's dive in then. Balance is bullshit, Allie. Let's talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. What chapter is that? Five maybe? Yes. It's an attainable goal. I think we're all trying to get some sort of balance in our life. I think about my life and certainly dry bar as like a game of whack-a-mole that game is like carnival. And someone actually bought that for us and we had it in our office for many years. Whether it's your personal life, your children, your business, whatever it is, in my experience, there's always something that's not working and you're always putting out fires, always trying to manage so many different things. It's like on any given day, Again, in my experience, something is falling, something isn't working, and that's okay. But I think it's letting go of that expectation of I've got to have it all together and I've got to do it all really well every day. That is total bullshit. That is just never going to happen. Again, I'd love to meet the person that it has happened for. I don't think I've ever spoken to someone who's like, yeah, no, I have it all figured out. I'm managing my kids and my life and my all my things yeah. perfectly. <laughs> and great. Nobody ever says that because it's just not true or realistic. And it's the same for me. I have days where like on the personal side, things are going great, but then I'm like frustrated or struggling in business. And it's just, it's a constant, like I said, whack-a-mole is the perfect <laughs> visual for it because it is, you're always trying to figure it out and it's okay. And it's okay that that it's not great every day. It makes me feel better because it's just not to revel in your pain, right? But it makes me feel better. No, it is is this pressure. And I'm guilty of it too, that we put on ourselves. I think there's a book that I've been meaning to read called It's Okay to Not Be Okay. And Mm -hmm. if we can take that pressure off of ourselves and realize I feel like Jay Shetty, who I adore, had this great quote recently that it's okay if you're having a bad day and tomorrow may be a better day. And I think that taking that pressure off ourselves of it's not always going to be perfect and it's not always meant to be perfect. But I think Mm. that's the other thing is I've learned so much in my life through my own trials and suffering and things that I've gone through personally that those things are all meant to teach us something, even Mm. though when you're in it, you don't want to be in it, but it is really where we learn. There can't be light without the darkness and the light yeah. gets through the cracks and the dark. But it's all very cliche, but it all is very true. You, it's just unrealistic that things are going to be great all the time. But I'm glad it makes you feel better. It makes me feel better to even hear it and remind myself that, yeah, some days are fucking awesome and some days suck. Yeah. It's like when you're first starting out, you have this idea that you can out-earn that and that you can out-succeed that. And you're like, one day when I'm one of these people, when I make it to this level or this level, oh, I'll get it figured it out. I'm going to be a calm, like calm, cool, and collected. Oh, man. No. <laughs> I mean, right? listen, I like to think I have a little bit of success and it, that could not be further from the truth. The problems are the issues and the problems, they don't ever stop. No matter mm-hmm. whether it's like business or personal, it's all 
it doesn't. And I don't know anybody who's, who's had a lot of success who doesn't feel that same pressure and stress. It doesn't ever go away no matter where you are. There's no like magic threshold that you get to that you're like, now life is perfect and I'm really happy. <laughs> Another thing in the same like conversation there is problems. So that was another, when I started the podcast versus today, it's I thought that once you get to a certain point, it's either you don't have problems anymore or you've got a team big enough to handle all the problems. And that may be true in some cases, but the best advice that I've gotten so far is problems don't disappear. They just look different. I'm curious about your experience with that. Yeah, that's totally true. They Problems don't disappear. There's never going to not be problems. It, it, I think it is more about how you deal with them. And yes, it does get somewhat easier when you have a team who's dealing with it. But for me, I, I want to know about all the problems. And there's nothing that drives me more crazy when there's something going on and my team is trying to shield me from it because I want to know everything that's going on. I think that if the problems just look different and they're always there. <laughs> they're always waiting. It's just they come as you grow, they come in d- the f- different forms. I could go on and on about the problems. In the early days of Drybar, we didn't have enough stylists to meet all the demand we had. And then we had a lot of stylists, but I needed to train them because they weren't where they needed to be. And I couldn't have our phones in the stores because it was too loud. It's just like thing after thing. And some of those things, you will get to a point where you're like, okay, these things are grooving and we're in flow and it's going well. And you're like, oh shit, now this happened because we grew or this happened because of whatever. I think it's how you deal with the problems that's the key and how you, again, not something I was good at, that I've learned on the flip side is not being really reactive. I'm just a very reactive person and I've had to work on my own self-mastery. Being able to take the problems and the issues that arise in stride and know that there will be a solution. It will be fine one way or the other is a big lesson that I had to learn the hard way, especially as our company grew and I had to delegate more. I had to give up control over certain things. I had to relinquish certain things that I was doing in the company. Was sure somebody else who I gave the responsibility to was going to fuck it up, which is also a whole thing I had to deal with and learn to be better about. I thought that if something didn't work or wasn't done the way I thought it should be or mistakes were made, that like the whole business was going to implode, Just which was just simply not true. It was actually a great learning for that person who was going through it. It's just part of doing business. I think being able to take the problems and issues in and not lose your mind and not go crazy, which I would do many times. It wasn't until we brought in a professional CEO, maybe four or five years into the business, John Hefner, he's mm-hmm. amazing and like a father to me and still a good friend. He had this very calm way about him. And we used to call him the only adult in the room with like me and my brother, because my brother and I are very similar. We're very reactive and the sky's falling and super passionate. There's a place for that. And that's great. But John was like, all right, we all need to calm down and take a step back <laughs> and think about this before you send that email. My guess is a lot of entrepreneurs have that same kind of tendency because we're mm-hmm. passionate and excited and all the things. So finding someone that can counterbalance, I think makes a big difference and certainly helped me like calm down a little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was getting the vibe that you are probably not someone that just easily was able to give up control. So that's funny that you said that because that was going to be one of the next questions that I asked is as a type A heat-seeking missile visionary entrepreneur, you're like, okay, this is how it's going to happen. I'm going to make it happen come hell or high water. I'm really curious on two sides of the coin now that you mentioned bringing in the professional CEO. 
So on one side of the coin, walk us through that journey, because I'm sure you made mistakes left for front and back of hiring your first people and delegating for the first time and giving up control. So if you can give advice to people in that stage, and also the stage on the flip side of the coin, where you have your team, you're managing like, okay, I'm going to hire people to work for me versus let me hire someone better than me. Like, how can I find someone that does this way better than I can think to do it? And like bring in that CEO or someone like that, because that's a whole separate conversation. So two questions there. Yeah, I can't tell you how valuable it was for us to bring in people who were smarter than us and knew more than we knew. Because again, we were entrepreneurs, we had this great idea and we were able to execute it pretty well on a very small scale. Once the business started to grow, it was like, it became a completely different thing because now we're having to manage all these people. We're we're opening more stores. We have way more clients, way more problems and way more things to deal with. Getting people paid on time and making sure clients are happy. As you grow, there's just so much more to manage. And we were, we, Michael and I were not good managers. I would never want that job because I'm not good at it. Being able to recognize what you're not good at, like what a gift. And sometimes you're the last person to the party to realize you should not be doing this. And there were certainly things for me that I wanted to keep control of. And there was lots of things that I wanted to get off my plate, like doing payroll. Nobody wanted me doing payroll. I wasn't good at it. I'm not good with numbers and spreadsheets and figuring out what your highest and best use is, where you really shine, where you're adding the most value is the key recognizing what you need to hire and also hiring ahead of what you need. That was a lesson that we learned early on too. (laughs) There's nothing worse that when your business has exploded, you've so much going on and now you have to spend six months finding that right person to manage the expansion and the growth. Mm. That's a shitty position to be in because you might not hire the right person because you're hiring in a manic state versus a big lesson that I really learned from my brother the first big hire, we hired this woman who was we our president of retail. We had a bunch of stores. I think it was like maybe eight or nine or 10. So it was kind of still manageable. But all of the people we had hired up until that point didn't have real experience. But she, yeah. this woman did. She had run Pinkberries and Taco Bells, and like massive chains. She had a real understanding that we didn't have. And I'll never forget two things. The salary that she required. When my mm. brother told me, I almost <laughs> fell off my chair. I was like, we're not making anything close to that. What? And he was like, (laughs) just this level that we need to hire because this woman really knows how to do this. (laughs) That was not a fun conversation. What she also brought was this amazing expertise. And she started hiring people that I didn't even know these job titles existed. She was hiring like a head of operations and a head of HR. And I mean, it sounds silly to say I didn't know that, but I didn't. Like I didn't, I had never run a company before. I didn't know all these people that we needed. And she really set up systems, managers and regional managers and all these different people that she hired that Michael and I were just watching her and all, oh, that makes sense. That's always been something I have felt really strongly about is hiring ahead of the curve and hiring people that are smarter than you and have more experience than you. Again, we didn't know how to roll this thing out. And Michael used to always say, which stuck with me. This is ours to mess up. This mm. We have this really great concept and people really love it, but it could very easily go wrong. We could very easily run this thing into the ground if we don't bring in the right people to help us like manage and grow, which we did. I think y'all did all right. <laughs> Come on now. Like, yeah. I think it ended up pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking back to what you were talking about that I hadn't been into a dry bar and I'm thinking, what if I would have just rolled up with short hair to the different dry bar locations? Like, hey, yo, doing market research, girls. <laughs> Listen, a 
first of all, a lot of men have been sitting in the lobby waiting for their girlfriend or mom or wife or whatever. A lot of guys would go in and get our 10-minute scalp massage. Dustin Hoffman famously was always in our Brentwood location when we first opened. And, and lots of guys with long hair go in too. It definitely happens. <laughs> I want to go back before we move forward. I think it's a really important point because you mentioned Michael a couple of the times. Yeah. So that's your brother, correct? That you went 50-50 with? Yeah. Yes. Walk us through the, the beginning when you got offered 5% of your own company in your first deal where you were trying to find someone to partner with, you were like, what the hell is this? And how you decided to do it with Michael instead. Walk us through that conversation because some people may be tempted to take that deal. Yeah, it wasn't, it just wasn't the right thing. And it was a conversation that I was having with somebody of of starting this concept. I just felt really undervalued at that offer. And when I started talking to my brother about it, he was like, no, you have a lot to offer and you bring so much value, arguably even more than him, because I knew the salon industry. I was a hairstylist for years and I I had a lot of experience in this and I, I knew what I was doing. So my brother came along and said, listen, I'll give you 50% of the company and I'll put up all the money and you'll have sweat equity. And I was like, that sounds amazing. What sweat equity? I didn't know <laughs> at, at the time. And he was like, you're going to be in there day to day running the shop and I'm going to put up the money. There was somewhat of a partnership there, but he was still running another company at the time when this all came to be. Of course, he would very quickly leave that and, and help me build this this brand. But yeah, that was the initial conversation. Michael was pretty successful in his own right. He'd worked for Drybar in the early days, Yahoo in the early days. I didn't expect him to even really do this with me. It was quite a surprise when he offered me that deal, which of course I was like, yeah, let's do that. That sounds amazing. It really was. And I felt like it was like the gift of a lifetime to be able to really do something that I knew incredibly well. And my brother was always the overachiever of the family. I was always the fucking late bloomer and what's Allie going to do with her life and hope she marries well and all all those Ah. stereotypes. So it was really nice to be like, no, I really know what I'm doing here in a lot of ways that Michael didn't. It was quite the gift to be able to join forces with him. And it, it really helped our relationship, we were able to spend more time together and got really close. Mm-hmm. So I want to dive into the personal side more here in a bit, because a lot of entrepreneurs are going through the same stuff that you talk about in the book, which everyone is the messy truth. You guys need to get the book. There's a bunch of stuff in there. But there's one more story that I really want to highlight before we move into that, which is the story of $40 blowouts and you driving around in your Nissan, right? I think it's really cool how what you did was the opposite of people. And that was your MO. Let's do the opposite of what everyone else does. And I feel right. everyone else starts with the business plan plan and the operations, and they try to create an idea and force it on the customer. They're like, okay, here's our idea. We're going to market and force demand on you. But what you did was you started in Facebook groups with the idea and then built the business plan while you managed it. So can you take us back to that time? That's insane with the demand because you opened up to a full salon, which is insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's like one of those things that It's such a good example or case study of doing something you really love first and foremost versus to your point, we're going to build this business plan and we're going to make a certain amount of money and this blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, the idea of Drybar came out of that mobile blowout business. And yes, to your point, for me, it was not about making money. At the time I was a stay-at-home mom and I was getting that itch to get out and do something for myself. And at my own pace, I didn't want to go back into a salon. I didn't want a typical job, but I, I knew or I felt like I could do blowouts at the time. All my friends were mommy friends. So I was very immersed in the mommy LA scene. And I was like, if it were me, 
what would I be willing to pay someone to come over and blow out my hair? Because I would definitely do it, but I was on a budget and I wasn't going to be able to pay a hundred plus dollars, which is like the bare minimum of what most stylists will charge to come to your house. Anybody who comes to your house for a service, even today, they're going to charge you a lot of money because mm-hmm. it's a lot of work and you're driving and blah, blah, blah. So for me, I don't really care that much about the money. I just want to do something I love and enjoy as much as I love my children. I wanted to talk to adults and have some interaction with like other women. My best friend Paige, and I talk about this in the book, we were like, what do you think I should charge? And she might've even said it like 40 bucks and it's 220. So it's super easy. So when I put this out into the world and it was this group called Peachhead, it was like a mommy group that existed what feels like a hundred years ago and said, Hey, I'm a long time stylist. I'm pretty good at blowouts and I want to start this business. I'm charging 40 bucks. I'll come over while your baby is sleeping and blow out your hair. I put it out there as a question to see if people would be interested and got flooded with women saying, when can you come? And Cam made me a really cute little one page website. It was very simple with my information where people could email me. So it seemed like the perfect plan. And it just started flowing in because the price point was so great. And once I would go to these people's homes in my Nissan Xterra with my duffel bag full of like all sorts of random blow dryers, yeah. <laughs> they would, I was pretty good at the blowouts and they would be like, oh, this is great. And only $40. They would tell all their friends and then their friends would be calling me. I became this like girl running around town doing blowouts for everybody. That's when I got so busy that I was having to say no more than I was saying yes, because I only had a handful of hours. And by the way, I didn't really make any money during this time between gas and the babysitter Mm -hmm. I had to pay to be with my kids or whatever. It wasn't, it wasn't super lucrative, but who cares? It led to dry bar, right? So again, I was doing this from a complete place of love and passion of something I, I wanted to do. And it would eventually turn into dry bar once I realized, wait a second, I'm onto something here because the price point was low enough where women were doing this way more frequently than they would if it was 75, 100 bucks. Yeah. So you've got a quote in the book where it says, if you have an idea that won't leave you alone, see where it leads. A lot of people have a lot of ideas that could be billion dollar ideas. So um, I'm curious about your advice on determining like which ideas are worth pursuing which versus which ones aren't. It sounds like this story is an awesome example of what to do. Put the offer out into the world, see how the world reacts, and then pivot from there. Is that kind of spot on or is there, what would you add to that? Yeah, listen, I don't think there's one formula and mm-hmm. I'd love to sit here and tell you that there is. I think that sometimes, yeah, there's not a secret sauce, I don't believe. There's like, because there's so many other things that have to line up. For us in our case, there wasn't anything like dry bar. So that really helped catapult us, I guess you could say. The advice I give entrepreneurs all the time is like, like we've discussed, if there's something that you want to start and it already exists, chances are you want to start that because the, the current thing of that that already exists isn't great. It's like, you want to start a yogurt shop, which is just a weird example. If you, <laughs> there's a place that you go because you want frozen yogurt, but the experience sucks and it's dirty and the people aren't nice to you and they don't have the good flavors and they're always running out of stuff and blah, 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 blah. This laundry list of things, I, I think I could create a better one of these and let me try. I think that it's also a double-edged sword of if you put an idea out there and and people aren't super um, responsive to it, you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do it. Maybe you shouldn't. But then I also really believe that people don't know what they want until you give Mm. it to them. Can't tell you how many people truly were like, when we were in the throes of building dry bar, they were like, I've had this idea 
but I haven't figured out how to make it work. But it's a good thought because again, for us to do $35 blowouts, we had to do a lot of blowouts. And how do you make that work? I remember before we opened, I would sit before I, when I was going to bed, I was like, how many blowouts do we have to do in an hour to make this business work? By the way, I thought it was like around 40 or 50, which would have been an okay business. We ended up doing more like close to a hundred. But like, how are we going to maintain that? We had to keep it under 45 minutes. There was a lot of things that we needed to figure out in those early days. It's like looking at this idea that you have and knowing if it's going to make it or not. So many things have to line up from, is there a demand that's not being met? If there is something that exists, like it isn't not executed well, personal necessities, a mother of invention. I love that quote so much because I really think it's so spot on. If there's something that you want out in the world that doesn't exist, go do it. It could be a spinoff of something. I've been presented with so many different businesses and I invest in a handful of businesses, but things, people who are doing things that you're like, oh, that's such a good idea. Why doesn't that exist? And those are the businesses that I think really make it. I don't have a short answer for that question because you can come at it from so many different ways. And the execution of it is incredibly important. You could have this great idea, but it's not executed well, so it doesn't work there. Or you could have a shitty idea and it's executed incredibly well and it works. It's just not a one size fits all. You have to really look at it from so many different angles. They were trying to go to the Alley Web School of Business. You just took them so many directions. <laughs> in that, you, there's a lot of things you have to be thinking about to yeah. be successful. So you're telling me it's hard? Yeah, Whoa. it's not easy. <laughs> By the way, it is really fucking hard to grow a successful business. And you said a billion dollar company. And that's like really hard. I know very few companies yeah. that have gotten to even that level. Building a million dollar business is a little more attainable. But it is hard. Most businesses do not make it. And I know that there's a lot of stats out there about that. But I also know that because I've invested in a lot of businesses that have not made it. And I'm like, shit, I thought I have good instincts. And so many of the things that I've invested in haven't made it. And I thought that they would. It's so many different things going into it that make a business successful from the people who are running it to the execution, to the branding, to the timing, like location. There's so many things. So you've seen it. You've seen holes get poked every single direction. Yeah. And I have been lucky enough to be part of some really successful ones. I have one of my best friends has a company called Olive in June, which is started out as a nail salon concept and largely modeled after dry bar. That's how we met and became friends. She really pivoted to going into product and she's killing it. I am an investor in that company. So that was a really good investment. She's so driven and so smart that she realized the salon direction wasn't quite working. And then COVID happened and she had to shut them down anyway. She went kind of full steam into the product and she's navigated the different arcs of the business really well. So it's just a great example. So I want to end this. I think it would be a really good conversation. I wanted to save it towards the end about authenticity and vulnerability across your journey, because that's the whole idea of your book. Your book is just like screw this sunshine and butterflies view of entrepreneurship. It's bullshit. This is how I almost lost everything multiple times. I still made it out to the other side. And this is what it takes. I'm really curious because now you want to share all of this. That's what I'm assuming makes the book so special for you. So talk about sharing, being authentic, being your true self, being vulnerable in the journey and how you think that is a better way to go about it instead of just putting on this like facade to the world. Yeah, I think that we're with all the conversations around mental health and taking care of ourselves, obviously coming out of COVID and everyone being somewhat upside down from that experience. 
Even before that, I would say though, I have been through some things that were very hard, like divorce and my my son going to rehab, which is all in the book. There is this facade and you look at, and there, and of course this has been talked about so much as you look at the Instagram reel and it's like, everything is really happy and great. I'm somewhat guilty of that too. And there's some, yeah, we all are. There are some things that I'm more comfortable talking about than others, but I do feel pretty strongly about not sugarcoating it. And like the question you asked early on about, do you get to a certain level of success where everything's great and I'm so happy and my life's perfect? No, that doesn't happen. And at least hasn't happened for me. And sorry, sorry to burst the bubble. For me, it was like, I've had to go through a lot of really hard things in my life and they came at a very high price, both emotionally and monetarily. There's a lot of things that were not easy to navigate. And it be in entrepreneurship for sure. It's like the burnout and the meltdowns and the depression and the scarcity and the fear and all of those things are very real as you're building a business and feeling, starting to feel irrelevant in your own company and then selling your company and feeling like, now what? <laughs> now what? Now who am I? For me, my identity has been largely tied to Drybar. With that, comes a lot of worthiness conversations that I'm in now, which is like, I got a lot of accolades and a lot of praise and a lot of really awesome things. I mentioned like going on Shark Tank, getting on the cover of magazines and things like that, that are very intoxicating and they are like a drug. Make no mistake. Those things can mess you up. Is As grateful as I am, and I, I don't want to come off as not intensely grateful for all of those opportunities because I am, but they do come at a bit of a price because yeah. you get this inflated sense of self which I am guilty of getting so much praise from the outside world for something great that you did, which is amazing. Again, so grateful for it and so grateful for the life it has given me. But it did come at a bit of a price with my own, you know, getting into childhood stuff. And as I yeah. started to explore who I am in this second half of my life, I know now, and somebody once asked me when we sold Dry Bar, it was I okay with it? How was I feeling? I'm like, no, I'm great. I realized like it, it ran its course and I was ready to be done. They asked me, how do you feel about it spiritually? I was like, huh. And that question has stuck with me for so long because I think Drybar was this source of fulfillment for me, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. When I sold it, I didn't realize that so much of my intended self-worth or so much of who I was in the world was so tied to Drybar. And I don't have that anymore. Oh, am I still important? Am I still relevant? And yes, but in a different way. And I've had to do a lot of soul searching and a lot of who am I now? And do I matter? And does it matter if Mm -hmm. I'm not being invited to this thing or that thing? I've been to parties and things where I feel a little old and outdated because there's all these new companies and new things happening. And coming to peace with that has been a journey for me in this second stage of my life. It just happens to be where I am and what I'm going through. I think we all get to different points in our careers and our lives where we're having to say, huh, who am I? And what's important to me now? That's the journey I'm on right now is figuring out what's next and what lights me up now. It's a weird place to be at 48 years old, but I'm trying to embrace it and and figure out what what's important to me now. Yeah. So do you have any seeds that you're starting to sprout on that? (laughs) <laughs> What's the next one? That's the best way I could put it, by the way. That yeah, was pretty sick. <laughs> yeah, I'm exploring a lot of different things right now. Obviously, writing this book was a big journey. Catharsis, right? Yeah, totally cathartic to write the book over the last couple of years. I had some changes and things that popped up that were 
not expected. Just a part of it. It's all fucking messy. It's so messy. Life is so messy. You don't know what's coming from day to day. And that's a whole thing. I, I think that the thing that I feel most called to right now is giving back and helping, like we touched on earlier, is being able to be of service to people in lots of different ways. Obviously, for me, it's being able to impart all of the wisdom, knowledge, and things that I've learned along the way that can help another entrepreneur. Besides doing hair and blowouts pretty well, that's my superpower is that I have been through a lot of different things as we grew this business, as I grew as a person that I'm able to talk about from a really vulnerable place. One of the projects that I'm working on right now is this mastermind that my good friend, Jacqueline Johnson, who started Create and Cultivate, which is a huge phenomenon. Her and I have been friends for years and we both are doing like a little bit of coaching and consulting here and there. We'd been talking about wanting to start something and didn't know what it looked like. And we got approached by this amazing branding expert named Marina Middleton. She came to us and said, Hey, I want to do a mastermind, but I want to do it with women who have started big businesses, grown, scaled, and sold businesses. We run the gamut and we can talk about and teach other entrepreneurs, like really going through it the whole journey and selling a company. So I loved the idea. And we started this thing called Blueprint Mastermind. It kicks off in October and it's a six-month container and we're going to keep it going. And it's really fun. It's fun working with other women who are in this kind of container are really successful in their own rights. And they're just trying to get to the next level. So I'm excited about that. I'm speaking at a lot of different things. And I really love that. I love meeting people and I love being able to, again, help. So that's where I'm at right now. I don't know where I'll be at a year from now or what will be. I'm also doing a lot of volunteering. So there's a real personal side of things. And I have a son in college who's playing football. So I'm planning on going and seeing my kid play football. I'm just taking it day by day, living in the yeah. present. Yeah, it sounds like for the first time, yeah? <laughs> yeah, perhaps. It is a very mindful practice to stay in the present and not allow yourself to ruminate in the past or worry about the future. It's something I'm embracing pretty wholeheartedly. I'm excited to see the next couple of years and what's next. Thank, Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find out more about you, the mastermind, and the book? Yeah, I think my Instagram is probably the best hub for all that stuff because you can, there's links to the Blueprint Mastermind, there's links to my book, mm -hmm. any place I'm speaking, it's all there at Ali Perfect. Webb. All right, yeah. at Ali Webb. And guys, of course, we're going to have it in the show description. Of course, she's going to be tagged. Of course, you're going to go follow her. Ali, thank and you so much book. for everything. Buy the, buy the book. Of course, they're buying the book. They already bought four copies. Come on. Now, nah, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a great conversation. And with that, this has been Brian and Allie with the Action Academy Podcast, signing off.